Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We've got a special guest in studio. Yeah, we got Keely Yor, like we always do. Follow her on Twitter, at Keely is my name. But my friend, Keith Gregory, is in the studio with us. We're going to have Dan Weber talk uh, about the NFL draft and stuff a little bit later. But we're going to give back a little bit today. Uh, Heath Gregory got his MBA from USC, local businessman here in uh, the South Bay, and he's one of the founders of the Tour de Pier, huge race that's going to go on. It's going to be the seventh annual Tour de Pier on May 19th. We wanted Heath to come in. You can follow him on Twitter, 1-O-N-E-H Gregory. Heath, thanks for coming in. Hey, thanks for having me. This is uh, should be fun. Keely, are you a, a rider at all? We get you on a bike at all? I used to ride bikes growing up as a kid, but not anymore. I'm kind of lame. I'm not like you guys over here. Well, not me. Well, no. So Heath is an expert. I'm just like the, the last few months I've been trying, but the, so if you don't know, the tour to pier is this really cool event uh, that we'll, we'll get the uh, origin story from Heath on how this all started, but it's raising money uh, to fight cancer. Uh, there's going to be 400 stationary bikes right at the base of the Manhattan beach pier on May 19th. And all these people riding for five hours with instructors a lot of USC people that are going to be there, Clay Helton, uh, Jake Olson. So it's a really cool event. There's a bunch of USC ties. So we wanted to get Heath in to, to kind of talk about it. But yeah, Heath, maybe we'll start with how did this uh, all get started? Um, we had, uh, there's a good friend of mine, John Hirschberg, who's also a big USC guy, went there undergrad. Um, he uh, he was actually going to get his executive MBA at Harvard. And oh. um He's not, he's not dumb. No, no, he, uh, you know, he has a business that's actually focused on, uh, providing a lot of the equipment that, uh, the USC Trojans use on the basketball and football field. Oh. And, uh, he's kind of tied in with Nike, but he was going back. They had this philanthropy focus as part of the program. And, you know, he had seen this uh, event called cycle for survival that had done really well. Uh, they, they'd done it through, um, raising money for, uh, rare cancers by doing indoor events. And so he thought, wow, you know, it'd be fun if, Maybe we could do something outdoors in Manhattan Beach, and uh, so he approached me about it. Uh, you know, we're you know owners of the uh, the Strand House, and uh, said you know it'd be great to do it down at the base of the pier. And he had lost his dad to pancreatic cancer, and around that time, uh, we actually lost uh, my brother-in-law uh, Corey Hunter to brain cancer. And then within a, a span of about a year and a half, we'd actually lost four family members to cancer. And wow. Uh, yeah. So it was really kind of a tough patch. So he was coming to me with something that I, you know, an idea that I was really connected to one, because, um, you know, I've been a longtime cycling enthusiast. My brother used to race and, um, back when the Lance thing was cool and, uh, <laughs> he wasn't a total pariah. Um, I was, uh, you know, big fan of his and what he had done. And, uh, we, I took my family to go see him at the tour de France and, um, and we went to the first time trial in Monaco and, uh, and it was on his last ride. And then they had another event, uh, stage that was taking place in Barcelona a few days later. And so we ended up going to Barcelona and by chance they actually had an outdoor spin event that was put on by Live Strong in the park in Barcelona. Oh. And, uh, yeah, so I just, you know, it was 
an amazing experience to see all these, you know, hundreds of people that were riding in yellow. It was kind of raining. It was, you know, the, they had that day's stage that was up on, that was on these jumbo screens and, you know, you're riding for cancer. And so I was inspired. I like approached some people with my broken Spanish and, uh, <laughs> and ended up, you know, riding on one of their bikes for a little while. <laughs> and then, um, and, you know, had that idea in my head when John had mentioned it, um, I was immediately like, I'm all in, let's do it. So is this a common, like, so you saw this event in Barcelona and it's like, Hey, this is something we could do. It, is this, does this happen around the world or is it happening in this country at all? Or is this pretty unique? Uh, you mean the, the, like this the type outdoor of cycle, Yeah, the outdoor stationary bike. It, it is not as common as you think just because logistically it's not an easy thing to do, right? To get 400 spin bikes in one location and then all the production that goes on around it. I mean, we have the benefit. The other founder is uh, uh, Lisa Mannheim, who's director of the Hirschberg Foundation, which is uh, named in honor of John's dad. Uh, they've been putting on runs up on the west side um, uh, to fight pancreatic cancer for a while. So they had a, a fair amount of production experience. Okay. And so that was helpful. And, um, you know, you can oftentimes they call these physical philanthropy events. So, you know, we're, we've all done it, right? We go to a 5 or 10K run. You know, we do the run. You know, we get the message at the beginning. You know, then we get done, we're tired, we got to go get our beer at the beer garden. Exactly. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Two, three, whatever. And then, <laughs> and then you leave and, and it leaves you. Well, this is, I think, unlike um, any other physical philanthropy event in that you are there potentially if you wanted to be there for five hours soaking up, you know, the, the whole experience, you know, whether it's, you know, the people that we have there that are kind of uh, people that are well-known, you know, notable celebrities and athletes, you know, to the cancer messages, you know, the beneficiaries and their messages. It's, it's inspiring, it's uplifting, and it's going on for hours versus, you know, just a few minutes on the front end or back end, you know, of an event. So. Yeah. Interesting. The, uh, as far as the philanthropy aspect of it, there's three different cancer charities that are involved. Is it like one specific kind of cancer or let people know like how, you know, what it's benefiting? Right. So I think what you're finding in the cancer space um, is, is that research that is being done on one type of cancer oftentimes, um, you know, benefits other types of cancers, right? So there's a lot of money that that um, has been raised for, you know, some of the, the more, you know, uh, I guess prevalent cancers. So you have breast cancer and those kind of things. But then there's also similar to Cycle for Survival where they're raising money for rare cancers. Uh, we were directly impacted by brain cancer. John was directly and his family infected by pancreatic cancer. Those numbers aren't huge. And so therefore there's not as much money that is typically raised for those. Okay. So, but the, what happens with some of those common cancers is they become metastatic and then they end up being brain cancer and they end up being, you know, uh, different forms of cancer. And so we raise money to support brain cancer and pancreatic cancer, but then we also recognize that it doesn't matter what type of cancer you have, anybody in the South Bay that's affected by cancer, um, they need help. And so the organization that we have worked with and was super helpful with our family was a cancer support community here in Redondo Beach. So they're literally, you know, just down the road from here. Okay. And they provide free services. So if you have uh, psychosocial services primarily, so if you're you know, a parent, you know, and your child's having trouble, you know, really getting their head around the fact, you know, that somebody in their family has cancer, 
and they need counseling services. Or if you don't know really where to begin with the whole process, you know, they're there as a resource. And so, you know, we like it in the fact that, you know, we have money that is going to support the greatest minds around the world that are focused on these types of cancers. And then that money, and that's going around the world. And then you also have money that's staying here locally and really trying to help people that, you know, are in our backyard. So it could be me, you, Kaylee, anybody. So. Nice. Um, do you have anything, Kaylee? We want to, I don't know, I wasn't sure if you had, well, I want to talk about the USC tie thing. Yes. Um, because my wife, my wife, Jana, went down there. She's ridden a couple of times. This is going to be my first uh, time riding. Make sure you guys want to donate. You just... Google uh, Ryan Abraham and Tour de Pier. You can go. You can donate to my page. Do you have a donation on your ones, your bike too, or not? Uh, really? I don't have my own bike. My wife has a bike. Okay. Uh, Mandy Gregory. Um, and uh, it, it, you can go to the site and you can donate. You know, just in general, or you can pick. Yeah, you know, Ryan. Pick I, your I would people. plug. Ryan, yeah, pick your people. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, you can um, easily go to the site and uh, find a way to donate uh, to the cause. And uh, I think right now we're a little over a million dollars. Wow. Uh, with our goal being a uh, million five, hopefully. Nice. So Tour de Pier, uh, yeah, tourdepier dot com. I, I I set my goal at like fifteen hundred. I got just over a thousand, so I need a little wow. bit more yeah. people. So Peristyle podcast listeners, get in there and uh, donate to my page, please. But there's a lot of USC ties. So when I said Jana went down, I think a couple years ago, she ended up talking with Clay Helton for a while. He was down there riding. I think he brought some of the players. Um, if you saw the, there you have on on uh, you know your social media, you saw like uh, pictures of Matt Liner during the kickoff thing, and and Jake Olson, and Jake Olson. We went to one of his charity events, which is like literally at the you know at the uh, no, the Shade. Shade Hotel, like right over there. And so that was a lot of fun. Where you know he's. Obviously, he had lost his sight because of uh, the, the, was it rhinoblastoma? I forget uh, the eye cancer. Retino. Retinoblastoma. Okay. Retinoblastoma. Retinoblastoma. Yeah. So that was a really cool event. Uh, but he's going to be around there and stuff. What? So what are some of the other like USC ties, I guess? Or how's it USC been involved in this? Fight on first. Um, <laughs> so John and I both are, uh, you know, diehard SC fans and, uh, and alums. And, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, on the USC side, we have, uh, as you mentioned, Coach Clay Hilton's been there for, I think this is his fourth year. Uh, Angela, his wife, was, you know, had, had, had cancer battle. She survived breast cancer, right? right? Yeah. And so she'll be there riding. Uh, Jake uh, is uh, now kind of woven into the team. Uh, he was there for our coffee kickoff. Um, this year he's coming, he'll, and, and those guys are going to be opening up the hour. So if, for those of you that want to come out, you want to see Coach, you want to see Jake, you know, typically what happens is they'll ride on the main stage and then afterwards – um, you know, they'll walk around with one of the players and they'll, um, you know, kind of high five, take pictures, that kind of stuff. One year, I think we had coach handing out roses after they won the Rose Bowl. <laughs> so we try to make it fun. Um, and then it's also, you know, I know, you know, we're very much a, a, a USC, you know, kind of contingent, but we're also UCLA too. So, you know, this is just kind of like cancer. You know, one thing that's really unique about our event is that we're collaborating, right? This is a collaboration between three, three cancer charities right, that are putting this event on. And um, so, you know, it doesn't matter if you're an SC or UCLA fan, you know, and you get hit by cancer, it affects us all the same. And so, you know, UCLA, you know, we support them as far as fund, uh, as far as research dollars. Um, and then we also have like the UCLA cheerleaders that have come out. We've had, you know, some of the UCLA coaches, uh, former uh, water polo coach Adam Krikorian, 
I was there this year. We're going to have Miss Val, who's the uh, gymnastics coach. She's yeah. going to be coming. With she's two. pretty popular. <laughs> yeah, she's retiring this year, but she's bringing two Olympians with her. Okay. Um, and so, you know, it'll be a if, if you're on the UCLA side, you know, yeah. no judgment. <laughs> uh, you know, you you can uh, you, you'll have plays. Resistance on your bike is turned up a little bit. For yeah, <laughs> that's weird. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we'll have, uh, I think a good, um, you know, we have a good support on the SC side. Matt Liner, um, has been a friend and, and supporter of us for, uh, a while now as well. Um, you know, and he, he's going to continue to kind of support us. He's been affected by cancer with his mom recently. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a good, uh, Trojan family that's, that's behind this. And it's so 400 bikes that you have to like source from around gyms around the South Bay. Is that how that works or? Yeah, every year it was a little bit of a uh, Tetris puzzle to try to, you know, bring all these together. But we uh, have actually tried to minimize how much we have to pull together every year. So we have uh, been working with some of the gyms for them to donate their bikes to us. Uh, so we actually own about 250 bikes of our own now. Oh, wow. Okay. And so we we store them, you know, throughout the year. Uh, and then, you know, we have them, you know, brought to the site. And then we also have a relationship with Bay Club locally and Fit On Studios. Okay. And um, and one of our uh, one of the bike manufacturers is called Stages, um, and they provide us some of the bikes as well. So, you know, it, again, it's a collaboration. This whole thing just hap- can't happen by ourselves. You know, we've got so many people that we um, that we rely on to make it happen. And it's sold out right now, right? Like, so all 400 bikes have been yeah. accounted for. Yeah. No matter how hard we try to remind people that this is going to happen, because we feel pretty confident in ourselves, but it, it has every year sold out by, you know, middle of April. I think we're a couple weeks early, actually, this year. So, okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's going really well. But the so there's five hours of riding. And so there's some people do like the whole five hours themselves, or is it like usually? So I'm on a team of five with our, our, our mutual friend, uh, JT, who's a... Uh, a, a policeman at Inglewood and you know, his, he lost his mother recently and uh, he's really involved. Our team's called for mama. It's for, you know, for his mom and stuff. So we have five people on there. Unfortunately, I don't think any of them are riding. Like I'm de- doing, you know, spin classes and none of those are. <laughs> so I might have to carry more of the weight, but how does that work? Is there some of it five people or is it more or less or how does, like, how does it go? You can decide to do it all on your own. If you want to try to go five hours, usually, you know, of the, <laughs> of the, of the, you know, 1,500 people that we have that do it every year, I think we end up having about 20 or so that decide to really? go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's super impressive, you know? Um, and, uh, and then, you know, if you want to ride a couple extra hours, you know, for yourself, but then you want to split it, you know, with a couple other people, you can slice it, dice it however you want, but there's five hours. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, you can decide how hard you want to go. Yeah. Really. Interesting. Yeah. And then, so I didn't really know how this works and started doing like these classes a couple of months ago. And like, I don't have a Peloton or anything like that, but having someone, an instructor up there with music and you're riding to it and doing this and, you know, racing that and climbing and all this stuff. So you kind of get, oh, wow, this is really, it's kind of interesting. And you really get into it. Uh, I'm totally into it now, as you can tell, mm-hmm. like, maybe you can tell by my voice. So I'm excited <laughs> for this, but you know, it's like, oh, you, it's, it's kind of inspiring. And I just being in a class around people, I'm like, oh, it makes me want to go and go work out in the morning, like six in the morning classes. Like that kind of, I was like, I could never picture myself doing that, but I can't imagine with 399 other bikes around you and people up on stage, you know, yelling at you and celebrities and stuff oh. walking around. It's gotta be really cool. Yeah, no, I think uh, that's another part of what makes it so special is that, you know, you want to have these uh, high points of inspiration, 
you know, through, uh, you know, each hour, right? So you want that hour to be some, doesn't matter what time you're riding. We want that hour to be special for whoever's on that bike. And so, you know, seeing some of these people, you know, that, you know, that you may recognize, um, you know, like, you know, we've had George Lopez there, um, you know, Gene Simmons from kiss, you know, uh, for those people that are on the younger side this year, we're going to have Liza Koshy, uh, who's a big YouTube star, you know, there, there are some of these people that you're like, these people have all been touched by cancer too. Um, so you're able to kind of connect with, with it on that level. Then, you know, we try to put together, you know, some, some high points of, of inspiration and cheer and fun. So we'll have this year, we're going to have the chargers cheerleaders. They're going to be there. Um, you know, we're going to have, uh, uh, the Clipper girls are going to be there. Uh, every year we have a flyover with planes. Yeah. Come on. That's, it's ridiculous. Um, and so, you know, that makes everybody cry and, you know, you're just, you're, you're filled up, you know? So yeah. by the, by the end of the day, it's, you know, people say it's the best day of the year because you're just getting, you're just soaking up so much goodness, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. And then you're going to do, so I don't know how long this has gone, the night ride the night before, and then your guys are expanding as well. So if you want to right. talk about that a little bit. Right. So every year, you know, we have to be, we can't just set up 400 spin bikes like the morning of the event that starts at 8.30. So we bring everything in and set it up down at the the parking lots down at the Manhattan Beach Pier the night before, or actually the day before. And so we've always been like, wow, you know, we have like these bikes that are there and it'd be wonderful for us to be able to maybe do something that would um, kind of make use of them. Um, but we also are setting up during that time. It's getting later. We have a noise ordinance. And so we're like, well, we can't really play music. And then uh, John's like, you know, what about this silent disco headset thing? I'm like, what? And yeah. So we started looking it up. And, uh, you know, this is a thing, you know, I'm it showing is. my age, apparently. Um, but, yeah, you, you, you basically can broadcast all the music and the instructors just over headsets like we're kind of doing right now. And, you know, you can have an event. And, and so that's basically what we've done the last two years on this, on a smaller scale this year, we're trying to kind of increase it. Uh, LA Ale works is the title sponsor. Okay. Uh, they're a great brewery over in, um, Hawthorne near SpaceX. And so, you know, once you get done with, you know, the sunset ride, you know, that, that happens on Saturday, uh, May 18th, um, we still have bikes available for that. Um, you know, you, you ride for a half hour as the sun is going down, then it's dark and then it's going to be an 80s themed party. So then <laughs> then you're then you're going from the kind of this calming kind of like sunset ride to let's party. And then afterwards everybody's going to go up to the Strand House, you get two free beers from LA Aleworks and you head up to the Strand House and and finish off the rest of the night. Might have to check that out before, you know, yeah. a couple beers before my ride in the morning. <laughs> yeah, don't I think don't go too hard. <laughs> don't want to go yeah that's that's very cool so if you people want to get involved go to tour to so there's still bikes available for the night ride the night before may 18th you can go on the wait list uh so if anyone drops out uh on may 19th and of course you can donate money if you want to do to my team that would be very nice you know just the, just we're here to do that but uh yeah, it'd be good. so are you going to be riding yourself or is it like your, your uh, wife has a bike? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, I for every, I think this is going on our seventh year. I think for uh, five of the six years that we've done it so far, I've, I've kind of ridden, you know, either an hour, a half hour. Uh, last year I didn't, and I don't think I am this year, just um, because, 
you know, we, we have so many of these other folks that people really recognize, you know, nobody really knows me. So I'm, I, I think it's, it's fun for me, but I think, you know, to, to really kind of maximize the experience for the whole thing, I think it's better to kind of share that time with, with other people. Um, and, uh, you know, my wife, my family, all my friends, everybody, you know, they're, they're riding. And then for me also, you know, I'm kind of working, you know, so I'm, right, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, you got to organize all this stuff. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not alone, but you know, when it comes to a lot of these folks that we're inviting, you know, you got to make sure that they're, you know, kind of there when they need to be there and they understand everything that's kind of going on. And, you know, it's a, it's a lot of fun. So, you know, we also have, uh, one of the things that, you know, I, I love about the event is it's not like six man, necessarily but right. you know we kind of want people to fly their freak flag a little bit yeah you know so we There's want costumes people, people wear costumes costumes yeah. yeah so people are wearing their costumes and really kind of getting into you know the experience um of uh you know theme theming it out and we have like a costume contest winner most inspired you know outfits um top fundraising teams individuals all that stuff uh that we provide awards for you know throughout the event too so nice yeah trying to recognize all those people that are really getting into it. Yeah. If you know what six man is, it's this, you know, surf fest, the, the big Manhattan beach, uh, six man volleyball tournament that was absolutely enormous, you know, probably eight years ago or 10 years ago. And then the city sort of like had to dial it back. Cause there was a lot of, yeah. a lot of drinking and stuff going on, but now it's coming back. Now it's, I think it's, yeah. I think it's Friday, Saturday now. They, it was like a Saturday, Sunday thing, and it would just be absolutely insane. And they, they moved it to like Tuesday, Wednesday to try to kill it. But it's slowly come back. <laughs> um, but it's great. Like right down on the, I don't know if you've been down there, Keely, like right at the base of the Manhattan Beach Pier. Like so the Strand House, uh, you know, his place there is is awesome. And it used to, what was it? Was the beach, uh, what was it? The, the beaches before? Beaches, the, for, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, 180 degree views of the ocean. And that's where, if, if you're a USC fan, during official visit weekends, who does Clay Helton, where does Clay Helton go to bring the, before they go to the airport on Sunday mornings, he brings them to the Strand House. And that's the final thing that, you know, USC recruits see before they fly home. And that, you know, they always have people coming and picking it out. And you got like shellback across the street and stuff. So mm-hmm. I think there'll be a lot of riding and a little bit of drinking and then some riding again. I, I think yeah. that's how it goes, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the, for, you know, Coach Helton and the team, you know, Strain House has been kind of a big part of, um, you know, their process there. And we love having them. Um, and I think, you know, if you're a kid that's coming from Texas or Florida or, you know, someplace, you know, maybe inland and then, you know, you come to the beach and then you get that view. I mean, I don't know how you could turn it down. So, uh, yeah, no. And then, you know, we're, we're also, as you mentioned, you know, kind of excited this year to ride for JT, you know. So, you know, our good friend who lost his mom. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, you know, it's going to be fun to have him involved, you know, this year he's kind of, um, you know, bringing in the Inglewood police department to kind of help out and, and support the event. So last few years they've done the color guard. So this year they're bringing a little bit of a bigger crew for that. Um, they're bringing down a couple of their vehicles that they use so the kids can kind of get a sense of like, you know, what these guys have to, what, you know, what they're doing day to day. And then, um, and there's a, there's going to be probably a fun surprise coming in the uh, the second hour. So that's oh. courtesy of JT. You just have to look up to the sky, but uh, should be should be pretty fun. Nice. He didn't tell me about this, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I was kind of pushing him in the beginning because he I think so. We he has his personal bike, and that's what me and some of our friends are riding on, and my and Jan is riding on. And then I think he has three or four other bikes. So it'll be like twenty members of the the Inglewood Police Department. Yeah, riding and those it. guys get so into it, so they all ride <laughs> with their whatever they are wearing at work is what they're riding in. So if wow. they're an office job, you know they wear their office stuff. If they're wearing SWAT gear. 
I mean, they, they wear, they ride the whole hour in SWAT gear. <laughs> wow. It's crazy. So we love having those guys. And Manhattan Beach Police Department, those guys are awesome. And, and we always, we have this uh, connection that we've uh, been able to create where, you know, if you're working for, you know, your city official, you know, or your police, fire, lifeguard, you know, you can't really pay for that yourself. So an, a number of the businesses, you know, locally, you know, like Trilogy down in Manhattan Beach, uh, Dave Caskey with Caskey and Caskey and some of these other folks, they'll actually pay for the bike so that the lifeguards, the police officers, and those folks can participate. So, you know, it's a great way to kind of recognize those people that are doing so much for us in our community, you know, as well. Yeah. So great collaboration. Awesome. Yeah. One last thing before we let you go, uh, Heath Gregory, uh, doing a great job here with the Tour de Strand. Did you cut, when you guys had that idea, like in Barcelona and you're talking about it, like, it's seven years later. Did you picture it would be like, hey, this is going to be freaking huge and like all these you know, celebrities are going to come out? Or was it like, uh, you know, hopefully it just is something cool that we can do for a couple of years? Did yeah. you picture it like this? Or? Well, it's funny, you know. Um, so, you know, when we were thinking about it the first year, um, the first name that we had for it was uh, the Manhattan Beach Spin Bike Challenge which was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so we were like, well, it's, I was thinking it's got to be tour to something, tour to pier, kind of came in, tested it around. People were like bought into it. And then, you know, you think about it, like, you know, we were thinking it was going to be, we were hoping we were going to raise $250,000 the first year, just, you know, kind of cover our expenses, maybe like make a little bit off of it, introduce the idea. And we raised 320, right? So we beat our goal. Like, oh, wow. You know, then, then we got up to, I think, 540, then 910, and then we're like, well, you know, maybe we should go some other places, right? So we did like a small event in Greenwich, Connecticut, a small one in New York, and then kind of recognized, well, you know, in order for you to do it, you have to have the right, the, the right legs of the stool in order for it to work. And then we're like, well, let's try to focus on making this a million dollar event. Now, you know, four years prior, there's no way that we would have thought that we would be make, making this a million dollar event. Yeah. And so you just kind of grow with it. And then we're like, okay let's make this a million dollar event. Now we're looking at million five. And then in September of this year, for those of you that, you know, are Pete Carroll fans or, you know, love Seattle, uh, we're going to actually be doing our first big outdoor event in Seattle at Lake Union Park, um, which is, you know, right in the heart of the city. It's right where Amazon's campus is. And uh, that's going to be on September 14th. So if you have friends, family, you know, this is effectively us launching another tour to pier like we did here in Manhattan Beach, you know, in the heart of Seattle. So nice. love to have support. Yeah. September, hopefully won't, the weather won't be too bad. Can it, if it rains, like you said, it rained in the Barcelona one. Like it doesn't usually rain here, but it's kind of raining right now, which is weird. Like, I don't know. Yeah. What's the, if the weather's well, bad, what happens? Well, we don't like to talk about it first. Okay. Sorry. Damn it. Um, <laughs> but say if there was some hypothetical situation where we did talk about it, uh, <laughs> tense. That's, that's, that's what you use. Oh, really? So, okay. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, great companies locally that can mobilize pretty quick. Yeah. So. I didn't know if those bikes could like, they're probably not. Well, they're getting sweated on all the time. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah, like, <laughs> At least by me. I don't know about oh, other people. But, <laughs> yeah. I got to wipe it down afterwards. It's like, what am I doing? Like, this is just sweating all over the place. Yeah. But yeah. They get, ex yeah. they get exposed a lot. Those things are pretty bulletproof. So, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a big part of, uh, you know, our lives, uh, now the tour to pier, and this is kind of our big push here for the next several weeks until May 19th. And then, Get a little bit of a breather, but May 1st, um, what's the date today? 
the 30th. 30th. So, so is that tomorrow or is it? Yep, no, or yep, tomorrow's yep, May 1st? Yep. So, you know, May 1st, uh, we will be opening up registration for Seattle. So, oh. um, yeah, so we'll be then shifting gears, you know, right after we get done with this one and trying to, trying to you know, get everything in place for that one. Is there a home Seahawks game for that weekend? No, there isn't. Oh, so, okay. I think it's away. Oh, it's away game. All right. Yeah, interesting. So ch- check that out September 14th for that one. Mm-hmm. But what we're focusing on right now, a couple weeks toward a peer, you can go a lot of ways you can support uh, obviously a great cause. Cancer touches everybody. So Heath Gregory, uh, awesome work. Thanks. Fight on Heath. And thanks for uh, coming in the studio. Fight on. Thank you. All right, everyone else. We'll be back in uh, take a quick break back in a minute, talking to uh, Dan Weber about how USC did in the NFL draft. You are listening to the Peristyle podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. All right. Uh, pretty cool stuff there with uh, Heath Gregory and the Tour to Peer. Remember, go on, you know, go just Google Tour to Peer. Ryan Abraham, if you want to donate to my team or any other thing, if you want to get involved, tourtopeer.com. They got a lot of resources there, but hopefully you had fun with that, Keely. You know, yeah, it was a good time. I was just wasn't sure if you're going to be chiming in much or anything. It's my buddy that's coming in. True, but, you know. true. You did give me a window to chime in, and then you took it away. So I was there. I was listening. Well, I, well, it was good. <laughs> well, you didn't say anything. I wasn't sure. Because <laughs> you were like, "Well, one second, and then you just kept going. It's okay. It's cool. I'm, sorry. I'm a good listener. If you it's wanted all good. to no, but if you wanted to say something, just jump in. I didn't. No, it's, really, it's you all normally good. you normally do. It's um, cool. Well, so it's not hard to jump in with with uh, Heath. Now with our next guest, you know, <laughs> with Dan Weber, I'm yeah. not sure it might be a little harder. So Dan's back. So we're going to, you know, our regular scheduled USC uh, Trojan football talk. Dan's on the line now. What's up, Dan? How are you? Uh, doing good. Doing good. I'm sorry. I didn't get to hear the, uh, hear the tour to pier stuff, but uh, sounds cool. I got to stop down there and check it all out. Yeah. So you can talk to clay a little bit, you know, if you want to, do that. We, <laughs> me and uh, me and Keely just over the weekend. Speaking of events, we didn't really. Have, we all three. Oh uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Keely and I were at the special table. Well, oh, no, Dad was at a special table too. Yeah, come on. But we all went. So we we got to probably talk about this. The, true. The Juju Smith Foundation uh, had its inaugural event at the Biltmore uh, downtown L.A. And uh, yeah, you know, me me and Keely just kind of having dinner with Clay Helton and Angela Helton. And, Casual. It was pretty casual. Uh, a lot, you know, a lot of former football players there, and you know, Anthony Munoz. You might not have heard of him, you know, NFL Hall of Fame kind of guys. But that, I, I don't know what what you thought of it, Dan. I thought it was a, a really cool event. Yeah, I thought that for the first one uh, ever. Uh, and when you think about uh, Juju is just twenty two years old, and to get this uh, going, it was one of the neat things was getting to meet uh, Juju's mom, Sammy, who oh, yeah. I think is kind of the the inspiration for a lot of this has always wanted, you know, Juju to do something like this. Uh, and, uh, uh, what a great, uh, and, and woman. And, and, you know, you got to meet his family, uh, extended family, uh, very cool. Uh, 
I just thought it was a terrific start uh, for the foundation. I just you just can't do a better job. Uh, we were talking to Anthony, who uh, I got to know a little bit back in Cincinnati, back in the day when I was a sports editor, and he was a Bengal, you know, best player, best offensive lineman in the NFL, and he'd show up to broadcast high school football games on Friday night. It was just amazing. Uh, but he said it took him a number of years after he retired before he started, you know, his foundation, I guess in 2002 and what a wonderful job he's done. I think they've helped more than 30,000 kids. They, they really, you know, focus on at risk kids. Uh, they give scholarships up to $20,000, a kid, just, uh, you know, a terrific guy. If you were a USC uh, person who cared about football, it was a great night to feel good about USC football. Um, you know, to see the kind of people, you know, that, you know, from an Anthony Munoz to a Juju Smith Schuster and so many guys hadn't met CR Roberts, uh, before and, uh, you know, who integrated, uh, college football in Texas back in, uh, uh, 1955, I think it was. Uh, and then Sam Bam Cunningham, who, who did kind of the same thing uh, for Alabama and the SEC in 1970 when USC played there. So really, uh, just a great, great night. I think they raised a lot of money, had a lot of fun, a lot of good stories. Uh, it was really, uh, really a good moment, and uh, it kind of picked me up. I think that's good for USC football right now. It was a, it was a chance to feel good, feel good about USC football, and uh, I just think those are, you know, you got to treasure those when they come along. Yeah. What do you think, Kaylee? Do you like it or? Yeah, it was a fun time. It's like Dan said, it's really cool to see uh, Trojan legends in that sense. Um, and also just really cool to see Juju and where he's come and where he is right now. You know, I, I talked to Juju after the event and I was like, you were my first interview in college. And technically he was, I was his first interview in college as well. So he was like, well, look where we've come. And I'm like, well, Juju, you've come a little bit farther than I have since <laughs> that time. But just seeing Juju and, and the fame that he's received and he's still the same Juju, you know, he's still yeah. a kid at heart. But it's so mature at the same time. And to see him start this foundation at 22, which is ridiculous, it's just really cool to see him giving back to the community already. And you can tell, you know, some people, it's lip service a little bit like, oh, it's good to give back to the community. But Juju really means it, you know, and it's yeah. just cool to see um, someone, a good person be that successful. Yeah. You know, I told him, though, that I thought I didn't get to know him like this in, in high school or in high, he was still a high school age kid playing college. I said, I don't think we picked up on uh, a couple of things. First of all, I think we knew you were good. I don't think we knew you were as good as we've seen you in the NFL. I mean, you, you're a, a, a level good better than I think we really thought you could be. And I think you're, you're a level more athletic. Uh, you've just got, you know, the ability to run by people in ways in which, and I know he was, he really fought some injuries in that at USC. But I, I told him, I said, I don't, you know, maybe it was because you were younger and you're just now, you know, starting to, you know, starting to get where you, uh, where you could. And, and I said, again, you were a kid and I don't think we saw this, you know, the kind of leadership we saw, you know, a lot of toughness and a lot of, uh, you know, fun and all of that. But, um, but Juju at 22 is probably not the same guy we were seeing at uh, 17 and 18 uh, when he was at USC. Um, he's just, he's remarkable. I mean, he basically is kind of the, the glue that holds the Steelers, you know, 
franchise together right now. I mean, it's, uh, you know, they've gone through, uh, you know, some tough times and, and like Juju is the, the uh, element of stability there that, you know, that kind of the whole town, uh, focused on. So, uh, it's pretty remarkable, uh, to see what he's done, where he's come and, and, and where he is right now. Yeah. Great stuff uh, from Juju. Check him out. Uh, you know, being a Steeler fan growing up, it was pretty cool. You had Lynn Swan there too. So another former Steeler, uh, you know, Clay Helton, there was a lot, you know, a lot of, uh, people that Gavin Morris, uh, Kerry Colbert. So people in the current team, former players, like Dan said, like CR Roberts and Sam Bam Cunningham. And just, it was a really cool event. So make sure you check it out. And Juju's foundations online too, if you want to do that. So the, the main beneficiary there is the uh, boys and girls club of Los Angeles. With one other person, I did not know this. And, you know, here, Ryan, you're writing a kind of a history of, of USC football, and I, I did. And I didn't know Rex Johnson, who um, played for both the uh, Steelers and the Pirates. Like the only person that ever did that. He was a, a great uh, football and baseball player at USC, and he made it to the NFL with the, with the, with the Steelers and made it to the uh, – major leagues as an outfielder with the pirates. So that's kind of, and so it was really cool to just, you know, have somebody like that be there, uh, who you didn't really know about. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, awesome event there. So more USC related philanthropy we were talking about, but let's move on to some NFL football talk. Cause the NFL draft occurred over the weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, four more USC Trojans were selected. The Trojans are still, uh, the number one college football program as far as overall draft picks, 509 total draft picks. Still the most first-rounders, obviously none for USC. Uh, the first player off the board was Chuma Doga in the third round. But what, what were your overall takes, Dan, of how the draft went? Did it go the way you thought? Uh, any any kind of thoughts from it? Yeah, I think it went exactly the way we thought. I think, uh, you know, we, we, we're pretty sure the four uh, who got drafted would get drafted. From you know the third round on, I think Port Augustine was a wild card um, because of the injuries and then the uh, the drug test. Uh, and I don't think we you know we know all the details about that. That uh, he was the the one that you just kind of flip a coin about. Uh, so so I thought it would you know it would go that way. I thought USC would hold on to the number one spot. They were uh, seven ahead of Notre Dame going in. And I think, you know, Notre Dame got a couple of more uh, draft picks overall, but there's still uh, at least five, four, I think, five or four or five behind USC. So USC can still say, you know, the most uh, NFL draft picks. Ohio State got two first-rounders, so they tied USC uh, with uh, 81 now. So USC still first, but tied for first there. Uh, So, uh, you know, some – some worries if going forward if USC wants to hold on to um, to those uh, those first that really matter. I think I think you know in terms of recruiting, I don't know if there's anything more important when you're trying to recruit the kinds of kids USC is trying to recruit is to be able to say here's our history of putting players into the NFL. I think the coaches know that. I think every you know they don't ever miss that opportunity, and I think it has to pick up next year. That's a real challenge for this. Uh, for this program, uh, you know, for next year, which is why, you know, results really matter. And uh, I, I think, you know, you, you can be the same player 
with kind of the same evaluation, if you're coming off a good year, that matters to people in the NFL. You're part of a winning program. If you're part of a program that, you know, gone through a tough year, a losing year and all that, that also matters to them. So I, I think it's really important, um, you know, that they get things squared away and, 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 you know, get going right away and get a good, you know, good feel about this team. And that's why, you know, next year's schedule is in so many, many ways great because they get an opportunity to show that right away that, yes, we are as good as we were coming out of high school. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll see. But, uh, but yeah, I thought uh, and yet they did okay. Uh, they could have been worse. You know, they could have, you know, lost one of their, um, you know, where they were first in, you know, in the nation. And, you know, historically they didn't. But uh, it's getting close. Yeah. What about you, Keely? Any, any overall thoughts from the draft sort of went, you know, we talked about this on like tunnel vision where we thought guys would go about the same, I guess with Port Augustine being the only guy that, you know, that the main guy we thought would get drafted that didn't. Yeah. I, it's pretty much what Dan said. I think just going forward, it's so important for recruiting and just USC in general, you got to win on the field and you got to put guys into the NFL, you know, that's what sells. And if you're not doing that, you know, you don't have really much to market anymore. So I think just just turning it around and, and you know, it's not going to be the same year when you have a Sam Darnold in the draft versus this year. But it just it was a little lackluster and from what USC is used to. But um, like you said, I think it went pretty much how we expected. Um, it was interesting seeing Porter Gustin on Instagram kind of admit that. Uh, sometimes his strengths became his weaknesses. Yeah, that was um, interesting. It was a little ambiguous. Not really sure what he was directly talking about, but um, interesting to see how that played out. Um, but congrats to everyone who was drafted and signed over the weekend. Yeah, so a lot, a bunch of people signed too. So Porter Augustine ended up with the uh, New Orleans Saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toa Lobedon goes to the New Jets. York Jets. So he joins Jumadoga. So a bunch of Trojans on the Jets. Mm-hmm. Uh now, but yeah, so, now my know. question, what do you think? Uh, when they asked Sam, what do you think about Toa snapping the ball? <laughs> what do you think Sam says? Huh? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, did they list? I didn't I mean, look really, on their, they, <laughs> I didn't look on their website. They, <laughs> like, did they list they him as a guard? That decision, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking if they throw that decision to Sam, where do you think he comes down on, uh, on the snapping? I think he would say when I was there, Toa was a great guard or a great <laughs> alignment. You know, the problems yeah. didn't really happen while Sam was there. So, but I think Sam was watching. True. I'm yeah. trying to take the easy <laughs> route out, Dan. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, interesting. So they might. They, I'm guessing they list him as a guard. I don't know uh, if you're checking that out, Keely. But the I do know that uh, Marshall uh, Marvell Tell Marshall Tell Marvell Tell is listed on the, I think it's the Colts. He went to the Colts, right? Did I, did I get mm-hmm. that right? Yes. So he's listed yeah. on the Colts website as a cornerback. So not, and they have a lot of depth there. They, I think they had seven corners and seven safeties or something like that on their roster already. Um, I believe they drafted another safety as well, uh, but yep. he's listed as a cornerback. So that's at least according to uh, the Colts, that's a position switch. I don't remember for Iman Marshall, I don't know if they've listed him as a safety or a, a corner. I don't. I don't think they've officially listed it yet. Okay, yeah, it's just I, on I the, I the yeah roster. That, I think it's interesting you bring up when you, we're talking about Toa and they decided to help him for the NFL. He could play center. 
which didn't work out, you know, really all that well for anybody involved. And then you've got the, you know, the whole question of, uh, you know, according to some of the NFL scouts, and I don't disagree with them, that because of his size, his speed, and his uh, his good fluid hips and ability to turn, that that uh, Marvell was a was a better, uh, you know, corner prospect. And there, are, you know, people the debate has always been that, uh, you know, with his size and his physicality, that Iman was a better safety. So now you've got three starters from last year's team already where we're thinking, hmm, were they in the right positions? I think it, it kind of reflects what was going on last year at USC, that there may be a lot of things that they just didn't get right. I mean, they just didn't get them right. And uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see going forward, you know, how that works out. But uh, but I think um, I probably would have liked to have seen Marvell as a as a corner, just the way he, he turns and runs. Uh, his size, he's got, the, he got almost perfect size for the, for w- the way you'd want a cornerback now. And, uh, Iman with his physicality and his ability to kind of come, you know, come up and make plays and all that, uh, he sure looked like a safety in a lot of ways. Now, I know they didn't want to, he didn't want to change, so they didn't want to change him, but, uh, that's maybe where, where coaching just takes over and you say, no, this is the best thing for the team. This is the best thing for you and probably would have been for all three of those guys if uh, if the right call is made. Mm, all right. Uh, let's see. Well, what else have we got going on? Is there any other – kind of all that newsy stuff, right, Keely? Like there was not too much? There was – I was just looking it up. There was the quote about Reggie Bush and uh, um, Urban Meyer. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. So I think this was from Arash's uh, story yes. in the L.A. Times, uh, like paraphrasing – that if things don't work out uh, head coaching-wise this year for USC, that both Reggie Bush and Matt Leiner, who are Fox Sports uh, college football analysts, uh, would try to talk to uh, Urban Meyer, who also happens to be a Fox Sports college football analyst, about becoming the next USC head coach. Did I paraphrase that correctly, Keely? He said, we'll definitely be recruiting him. What makes you think we won't be recruiters? Nothing is off the table. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, wonder wonder how that how how is that impacted by the NCAA's lifetime ban from Reggie being associated with USC? Is he allowed to recruit a, a new coach? Uh, I don't know where that fits into the uh, NCAA's lifetime ban. I mean, if he's not hmm. the coach yet, then you can recruit him, and then hands off. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, but that's so. I mean. If, if there was some sort of change, like a lot of people obviously wanted head coaching change after 2018. If there was one in the middle or after 2019, um, you know, Urban Meyer would be at the top of a lot of lists. Now, there's some moral dilemmas and stuff that go on with that. But if you have two of USC's most prominent, you know, recent football players, Pete Carroll era guys that are like, hey, we want Urban Meyer. Any USC fans that were sort of like on the fence, that probably would convince them like oh if reggie and matt want i'm like we should take what do you think keely you're looking at me funny i'm not looking at you funny i'm just (laughs) if you want to take a very neutral view of this it's gonna you're gonna say that the guy who got usc into trouble is now recruiting is trying to recruit someone who who's brought trouble to the universities he's been he's coached at i just think Maybe it doesn't look good on the surface. I understand the the layers to it. I don't know. 
It just it's an interesting hypothetical question. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, yeah, Dad? I, I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think it's, it's probably, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting after he retired or resigned. I don't know how you specifically describe it. Uh, or right before, I guess, the bowl game, Urban did admit that somebody said, well, all of this off the field stuff and all that, will that bother you? Will that take your eye off the, off the bowl game and all that? And he said, he said, that's my problem. Nothing like that. Does. You know, nothing takes my eye off winning the next football game. You know, I mean, I think he kind of admitted that maybe there are times where he just saw past trouble because he, was, he wanted to win that next football game. Uh, I think one of the attractions, and I still think, you know, Clay's got a real chance with the way what we've, saw, we've seen in the spring with the talent, they look like they're dedicated. They look like they're doing things on their own, maybe not getting the, the same kind of help that you would get at a, you know, some of the other national programs that have done you know, so well recently. I think USC's got a chance to get things righted. But if that doesn't happen, um, if I'm Urban Meyer and you're looking at USC, you're thinking, you know, I could go to USC and I might not even have to do the things I thought I had to do at Florida or I thought I had to do at Ohio state. I might be able to do it at USC and kind of, you know, rehabilitate, uh, you know, my, my name. And, you know, I could be the only coach in history that has won national championships at three different schools. Uh, so you would think the more, you know, I think, you know, urban Meyer is obviously going to spend a whole football season in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, on the Fox, uh, you know, Saturday, uh, you know, college football show. I think, you know, it'll be inter- It's going to really be interesting how this all plays out. You know, how it plays out with Clay. I think for you guys that you know were there the other night, I'm kind of seeing a different Clay Helton in in, in ways in, in, who seems more like a head coach and, and, and more of a maybe a, a little bit of a confidence there where he's not trying to just act like, you know, this is what I think I'm supposed to do, but with a, a confidence that I think comes out of they're doing the right things in practice and they're working in ways in which we haven't seen them. So it's going to be interesting to see that kind of interplay with Urban Meyer sitting here in Los Angeles and Clay Helton working out, you know, his situation right here. I think that's going to be a really interesting storyline that just sort of you know below the radar but it's going to be there maybe sort of like spring football from last year where you had matt fink and jack sears like out of the field you got clay helton like coaching away but jt daniels was sitting right there with his backpack on urban meyer is just down the street like <laughs> is he talking. the kid with the backpack he's now? the kid with the backpack yeah so it's like <laughs> If there's there's a lot of pressure, right? And neither Fink or Sears did really well with that with uh, JT Daniels looking over their shoulder. Is this sort of like Urban Myers looking over Clay Helton's shoulder, like, uh, you know, that first six games look pretty tough. Hoping you get a good start, because if not, here I come. I don't. I mean, like, and I don't, I don't think pressure in this situation is a bad thing. I think that kind of pressure is what USC needs. They need to be able to deal with it. They need to be able to handle it. They need to be able to, you know, thrive in it. That's what you do. That's 
that's what this is all about at a place like USC. And, uh, and you find out, is this the right place for you or not? So I, I'm I'm really look, you know looking forward to those first six games. I just I can't wait to get there. And I think Clay kind of said that the other night, and it wasn't like coach speak. It wasn't like eh, you know I got to say that you really got the sense that that he thinks okay I think I'm starting to figure this out. And 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 our team and 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 this coaching staff look like they're feel like they've got some answers and that they've got, you know, kids that are trying to make up for, for last year. And, uh, you know, that does work sometimes. You saw it, you know, with, uh, with the, uh, Carson Palmer and, and Troy Palomalu, uh, you know, when they were seniors and that thing finally got turned around at USC in, um, in what, 2002. And these are guys that had gone through a lot of coaching changes and a lot of, you know, people that didn't seem to know what they were doing and they wanted to prove that, Hey, you know, we can play. And they showed that they could. Um, the difference is you still got, you know, same head coach. And that'll be interesting how that, you know, how that can play out. I don't know. But I, I got a sense that there was a different feeling about Clay uh, from being, you know, being around him the other night. They're just He has a, a confidence that, that looks real compared to what we were seeing, especially last year. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see, but that's, that's going to be a storyline going forward and have like a couple of former Heisman trophy winners talk about that, um, is interesting. Um, let's see. All right. You know what else is interesting too? How does that drive people crazy that two of the people on, of the four person, uh, you know, and two of the three football people and two of the people on the, on the Fox show are USC guys. Yeah. I mean, it drove them crazy when they were playing at USC it ain't going to make a lot of people around the country happy to be looking at, you know, Matt Leinart and, and Reggie Bush week after week after week. Yeah. You got Brady Quinn up there. You got Notre Dame guy. So yeah, for, for ESPN, it's a lot of big 10, right? Cause you have uh, Michigan, Ohio state kind of guys. Uh, obviously right. the sec network, you got a bunch of sec people, but on Fox, it's a lot of, you know, it's more the USC kind of Notre Dame connection there more than anything. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting. You know, everybody's got their own demographics, but uh, it will not make some people happy. Uh, that, let's just say that. No, it will. It'll be interesting to see what uh, Reggie Bush um, does. Uh, I think Matt Leinart's got a lot better uh, since he's yeah. been come on and, and be uh, an analyst there. Reggie Bush has mostly done the NFL stuff, so now that it'll be LA doing uh, college football stuff, it'll be fun to kind of watch um well, speaking of speaking of reggie should we we got some questions about we reggie, have don't some we? reggie questions this week shall we jump in yeah might as well so the first one is from our friend dan class of 1962 he says first let me start by saying that the situation involving reggie bush was not a scandal but rather opportunism on the part of reggie's family as was stated last week reggie's family was being bribed to sign with an agent and leave usc how in the world was that a benefit to usc the question about the lack of backbone by USC can be laid at the feet of Pat Hayden. Mike Garrett was criticized for stating the obvious to USC fans that the NCAA was led by individuals who had a vested interest in undermining USC. Then Pat Hayden was bought off, it appears, but by, by putting him on the CFB playoff committee. Why would he even want to be a part of the selection process when USC was damaged unfairly? Where was Larry Scott and the rest of the Pac-12 when USC needed support? 
USC had weak leadership from Nikias and Hayden. The Heisman Trophy should have been in Heritage Hall for Reggie Bush. The BCS Championship Trophy should be displayed in Heritage Hall as well. Dan, Ryan, and Keeley, what are your thoughts about this travesty of justice? Keeping Reggie Bush off the USC campus and out of record books is what dictators do. Doesn't USC have access to some of the best constitutional lawyers in the country to sue the NCAA? Really fight on and mean it. Dan, class of 1962. Mm. Mm. Dan, I think that's uh, suing the NCAA ship has sailed. However, I do think USC could be fairly aggressive about Reggie. Um, and reinstatement. I mean, a lifetime, you know, ban, ban is, is ridiculous, and it's probably illegal in California based on the, uh, the, the decision that Judge Schaller gave uh, after the uh, uh, Todd McNair trial when he said California law basically forbids the NCAA from enforcing a show-cause penalty in the state of California, that that's, uh, that violates a uh, 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 free employment, uh, you know, law in, in California that you can't, you know, ban, uh, institutions from, um, from hiring somebody. And I think it might, you know, in the same way apply to say Reggie Bush, uh, if he, you know, now that he's, uh, you know, covering college football for Fox, if he wanted to do an interview with the USC coach or player, if he wanted to cover a game at USC, uh, would the NCAA say that he, can be denied credentials or not allowed to interview. I would think that's blatantly illegal. And I wouldn't mind, you know, USC filing something with the NCAA to say, look, we need some clarification here. We don't want to violate California law. And uh, there's a good possibility that this is going to happen. And uh, we're going to need you to, you know, to clarify some things here at NCAA. I just think there are ways in which, USC could have uh, backed the NCAA into a place where it didn't want to be short of suing the NCAA. I mean, I think I would always thought, for example, USC should have demanded the emails, uh, you know, way before Todd McNair's, uh, you know, attorneys figured out how to get a hold of them. Uh, but USC didn't, didn't do those kinds of things. And, and you say USC has access to some of the best constitutional lawyers. They haven't, you know, we haven't seen that, uh, you know, in terms of the lawyering up that USC has had. Uh, it would be nice if, you know, maybe the, uh, the new president, who obviously was involved in, at the University of North Carolina and some very good lawyering for North Carolina against the NCAA, maybe she'll bring some of that expertise to USC now in terms of, uh, you know, how they, you know, whether you agree with it or not, how North Carolina went about it, they they backed the NCAA into a corner and beat them. And uh, you'd like to see some of that at USC, you know, over the years. But uh, but I don't know the whole, you know, I think you can't conflate, uh, you know, the college football national championships and the NCAA and Reggie because basically the colleges have kept the NCAA out of the uh, – uh, the college football playoff situation, the national champion situation, and all the things that go along with it, because they didn't want the NCAA to get their hands on the money at all. So to to put those two together, they're kind of separate. I think the you know the college football playoffs uh, used that excuse with Reggie to take the trophy back, and you know that was kind of part of that anti-USC movement at the time when everybody was a, was scared of 
of, you know, what USC might do to college football. And, uh, and so everybody kind of jumped on the anti USC, you know, bandwagon, but, uh, but I just think if, if, if you do some of the little things, right, get Reggie reinstated, uh, move in the right direction. Uh, that would be good enough for starters. Now, if you're, if you're depending on the PAC 12 to help you, uh, good luck. That ain't going to happen. Okay. USC <laughs> has to, USC has to start showing some leadership itself. I mean, USC hasn't become a leader in the Pac-12. The leader of this Pac-12 needs somebody to step up. But until USC figures out what to do for USC, it's kind of hard to you know, say we've got answers to the Pac-12. Somebody needs to come up with answers to the Pac-12. You'd like to see historically, you know, USC was always a big part of that. Right now, USC is not a part of anything in terms of coming up with answers, uh, especially for USC. But, uh, but yeah, Dan, you touched on a lot of issues that, that get people, you know, awfully excited. You'd just like to see USC start get some of the, some of the, uh, ones that they can deal with right away, uh, correct. And we haven't seen that yet. Ryan, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, it's all dumb. Um, hashtag free Reggie Bush. This is just stupid. USC needs to fight back. Uh, the Pac-12 didn't help, like uh, Dan was saying. And USC just has to push back and say, look, this is dumb. It, why? How can you be banned for life for something that didn't? There was no benefit to the school whatsoever for what happened with Reggie Bush. It's completely the opposite or completely different than Auburn and Cam Newton, where Cam Newton was paid to attend Auburn. And Auburn, as a result of that payment to a player, won a national championship. There was no benefit to the USC football program and the university for Reggie Bush, some wannabe agent, you know, trying to get Reggie Bush as a client after he left USC. So completely different. It makes no sense to me. This should this should end. Hopefully, Carol Folt comes in and pushes that along. But it doesn't. It should not go on any longer. Put his number up. Fight to get the Heisman back. All that stuff. That's that's the way I feel about. It. Yep. I would think if you looked at the Heisman Trophy winners over the years, and you try to say, well, now where in, you know, of all of the things that maybe all of the Heisman Trophy winners got over all the years, where would Reggie Bush fit in? He'd probably be in the middle somewhere. And for him to be the one that lost his Heisman, I mean, a number of Heisman Trophy winners have talked about the kinds of things that, you know, were given them when they were in college. Nobody else had a, you know, campaign to take back the Heisman. I mean, it's just embarrassing. Uh, and that, you know, obviously what the NCAA did is embarrassing to the NCAA. They don't want to think about it anymore. They don't want to, you know, have to deal with it. But, uh, but I think they, you know, they should. This would be a, a perfect way to get them to start backing off of the awful uh, period in the NCAA when they went, basically went after USC. And we're going to get them no matter what. Uh, start taking some of those back, and and that USC needs a, needs to really focus on on the Reggie Bush thing, just for starters, and just you know pick pick away at that, and then maybe get the ball rolling. Yeah, I think what Dan said. I think you need some sort of leadership coming from USC and coming kind of as a force, because the NCAA, like Harvey High said on Monday, is kind of a bully in that sense, and so it seems like Reggie Bush. Is just kind of waiting in the wings. He sounds like he's ready to come back, but I don't think it's his place to 
lead the charge on this, you know? I think you need someone from USC leading the charge, and then Reggie will come alongside them and be like, hey, this is not really fair. Yeah. Could be a team effort there. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another question slightly related. Dan, you already covered this a little bit, but Tim Dunn wants to know any update on the judge's ruling on the Todd McNair case. No, I think we could be looking at, you know, a full year before it gets uh, uh, it gets through the Court of Appeals in California. I mean, that's, that's kind of what the timeline was the last time. Uh, so I'm guessing next, uh, maybe September, something like that, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, we'll we'll get a chance to you know to have a hearing in the uh, in the summer, but it's going to work its way uh, you know through the court of appeals, which has kind of already ruled on the issue that the NCA is appealing. I mean, I think the uh, in advance they wouldn't have had the trial had the California Court of Appeals not ruled that there were issues there that read, that uh, Todd McNair could prevail on that the issues were such. So now. Uh, Judge Schaller ruled that the it, the way he saw it in court that the verdict wasn't a fair verdict. It didn't reflect what happened in court. And the NCA is going to go back to the Court of Appeals and say, "Well, that's not right." Well, the Court of Appeals has almost already ruled on those set of facts. Uh, seemed to say there was defamation, certainly a chance. Uh, uh, a good chance for for defamation uh, being shown in a trial. So for the NCA to say, "Hey, there was no way that you know the verdict uh, saying that there was no defamation uh, should should stand," I don't think they I don't think they've got a chance to win on appeal. I would think Judge Schaller's decision uh, awarding a new trial uh, to Todd McNair uh, prevails, but but I don't think it's going to happen quickly. Yeah. Um, we have a question from Robin Santa Clara who says, should USC issue a num- the number five or retire it? Shouldn't they either do, shouldn't they do one or the other? Boy, I'm so much not a person that cares about numbers. I, I just don't even think about it. I, I, I almost don't have an opinion. I just, I, I just think there's too much focus. On numbers, I really didn't like it in the past when there was, a, you know, recruiting that involved promising numbers to people and all of that. I just think uh, I'm not I'm not a numbers guy, so you know, I'm I'm not going to have an opinion. I I probably wouldn't retire it just because of all the all the things involved. I'm not sure if I'd, I'd reissue it or not. I think it'd be tough to be the kid that gets reissue gets that number given to him uh like it is sometimes for the kids that get number one sometimes the kids that get number 55 uh so i wish we could downplay the whole numbers thing but that's just me yeah i I mean i don't think it should be uh, as long as he doesn't have the heisman i don't think it should be they only retired numbers that you win the heisman so go back and say we want the heisman back and retire the number i'm fine with that let's do that Seems like good. It's just too much. This is so weird right now. Just that needs to stop. Like it's just so wishy washy. Like just someone take charge and put your foot down. Like this is dumb. Here's what's going to happen, and make us do you know do something about it. But just do it. That's what I. That's what I don't understand. Like what 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 could the NCAA do if USC were to take charge in that sense? I don't know. That's 
they're they're a paper tiger right now. They can't really do much of it. They're not going to go fight, you know, some big program. Now it would help if USC was winning and had a little more clout, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's got to stop. Well, I mean, it doesn't help though when a guy like uh, Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott files a mo- you know whatever he filed in the uh, McNair case and the Show Cause case when he said. Oh, if they go along with California law, if you if you pay attention to California law, Cal, Stanford, UCLA, and USC won't be able to stay in the NCAA. And the judges totally dismiss that. So that you don't know what you're talking about, basically. And go away. We don't want to hear from you. Which is the best thing that's ever been said about Larry Scott. But can you, I mean, here's Larry Scott comes down on the side of uh, of the NCAA. You know, in that case, so. You're not going to get much backup, you know, from the from the Pac-12, unfortunately. No. We have a question from Paul in Vegas who says, are we likely to hear anything from Clay Helton this offseason? For example, is he going to give any interviews or go on a public speaking tour to booster clubs? Or is he likely to pretty much be incognito since he's on the hot seat going into this next year? Well, I mean, as the Juju, uh, you know, foundation dinner showed, it didn't look like he was on the hot, you know, didn't have a, a sense that, you know, Clay was on the hot seat, thought he was received, uh, you know, well there, uh, thought he was very upbeat. And uh, I think he'll, you know, do the same things as, uh, you know, as, as every year in, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, going out to the, you know, the booster clubs and, uh, you know, all around California. I think he's... Uh, and I, I mean, the thing that came across is he is very upbeat based on practice. And, and this is something, Esther, I think whatever seemed to be upbeat was based on a hope and a maybe, you know, we'll get it right or whatever. I think it's more of a, a sense of we are getting it right. We do have the players that can compete. And I wish we could start right away. I think that'll come through in the summer. I, I think they they believe that this coaching staff has figured some things out, that these players uh, are in a different place from where we saw them last year. Uh, and uh, and they're excited about, you know, what's going to happen. So I think he'll, he's going to want to be out there telling people that, that he's excited and upbeat. And I think that's what he has to do. Uh, I don't think he can hide away. Uh, that would be a bad, bad thing. Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting, too. He was upbeat and he said, uh, I wish we could play this weekend. But he also said, we're still pissed. I'm pissed. The team's pissed. I know you guys are pissed, but we want to get that bad taste out of our mouth, which I think Clay usually at this time of the year normally would, would not acknowledge maybe the anger that's still there, but he did, and I think that's that was at least interesting in that sense. Yeah, I think he's at a different place. He, he And I, I, know, I think Coach Wooden, somebody, I saw a quote not too long ago, about how you get to that place where you are, you have a confidence about yourself and about your ability to compete, and that that comes from doing all the right things to prepare to do to compete, and, and that it's just a, the natural product of of doing the right thing. And I think you know we've said it plenty of times when they haven't done the right things, and we haven't seen them doing the right things in practice, and and all the other ways that you prepare and we did see him doing 
doing the right things. And we did think that they got a, as much out of practice as you could get out of practice in the spring. And so, you know, I think there is that sense um, that these coaches can, you know, can coach and they can work together. And, uh, and the players want to be coached, it looks like. And they want to be, you know, the right weight, for example. I mean, the weight, the nutrition program, the strength and conditioning, you know, obviously in, in a little bit of a turmoil and people, you know, coming and going and leaving and new, new ways of doing things. And, and you don't even have anybody running the nutrition program right now. And yet you see players that should lose weight, did lose weight. You see players that needed to gain weight, gain weight. Uh, again, those are things that you do on your own individually. You know, it's nice to have help, but the ultimate decision maker is the player himself. And it does look like the players have made, you know, the right decisions. I give the coaching staff credit. When you talk to every one of the players, they were given a weight. said, this is what we want you. This is what we need you at. And guys hit it. And uh, I don't think we always saw that in the past. You know, either the ability to to say this is where we need you or for guys to get there. Um, So I think they're in a better place. And I think that starts with Clay. We have a question from our buddy Joan. She says, I subscribed to The Athletic. Recently, Antonio Morales interviewed Athletic Director Lynn Swan. To me, it was one of the most uneducated and uninformed interviews I have ever read. Having He said absolutely nothing in a very long interview. No goals, no plans, no strategy. Ryan and Dan, I'm sure you guys read the interview. Do you agree or disagree? Did I miss something? What are your thoughts? Your friend, Joan. Um, real quick, I, I, I like Antonio a lot, and... Uh... It's, it just, to me, was a lot of words. Like there was a lot of words on a page and, you know, not, I think Antonio tried, he could have pushed more in some of those spots, but it, that's just Lin Swan. Like he's just not going to say very much. No, he, he didn't. And you could either say, boy, he's really good at not, you know, saying a lot of words and not saying anything, <laughs> or you could have the alternative explanation is there just nothing there to, to, you know, to say, I mean, they're just, it, it, I, I don't think it was a good look, uh, for anybody who said, Hey, let's let, you know, Lynn Swan sit down for a really long interview with the athletic. Maybe they won't go after him real hard. I don't know that that was a good decision. Uh, it was almost impossible to read to the end because again, it was, as Ryan said, words on a page, but what did they signify? I don't know that they signified anything. Not much of anything, no. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't feel like I read that and I'm like, oh, I have a better understanding of, no, it's just like, I just had a better understanding of, you didn't hire someone that's really experienced at this job. So that's that's where USC is right now. But you knew that going in, so. We have- right, it was a lot of work to know no more after you finished than when you started. Yeah. <laughs> We have a couple questions from Mark from Fresno. First, he says, what is the Pac-12 board of directors thinking? Why haven't they dismissed Larry Scott? They seem to realize the terrible position the conference has been put in. What can be done to put pressure on the board to act? Aren't they ultimately responsible? Well, here's the problem. Um, This week is a really good example of what the problem in the Pac-12 is. As John Wilner outlined, they're going for their annual 
uh, spring meetings in Scottsdale, but of course, and uh, said they're going to make all these, you know, they've got all these really big issues confronting, you know, obviously, you know, the uh, revenue gap between the Pac-12 and everybody else, the fact that their, you know, network expenses are tripling their, uh, you know, increased revenue, all the kinds of things, you know, that their, you know, their uh, distribution is so minimal compared to the other, uh, the, you know, the other leagues they're competing with and, and, and just the whole revenue thing and the fact that they perform so badly in, in football and baseball, the two sports that, or football and basketball, two sports that really matter. Um, and so they talk about how the athletic directors are going to be there and all the staffers are going to be there. And then John said, although none of the presidents who are the only ones that can make the decision, they're not going to be there. Oh, and the basketball coaches, they're not going to be there. They matter at the final four. So of your, you know, key groups, let's say if you say the groups are, you know, the athletic directors, the network people, the presidents and the basketball coaches and the football coach, let's say you have five groups, two of the groups aren't even going to be there. Uh, I mean, the athletic directors last year asked for the budget that they could see the budget and they were told, no, you're not allowed to see it. They're the athletic directors because they said, Oh, only the uh, chief executive officers of each of the schools. uh, They're the ones that make the decision. So you can't see it. It's amazing. It's so dysfunctional. It's a joke. And, and so, you know, whatever they try to do, you know, let's say they come to some agreement this week about anything. It won't go into effect because then the presidents have to get involved. Uh, how you run a conference like this, I, I can't even, I mean, it, it helps Larry Scott, I guess, to keep everybody apart so that they're not all in the same room where, you know, people would make a decision. But uh, the second part is with Larry Scott, you know, the guy's making $4.8 million a year, and he's got, I guess, the better part of three years left on his contract. And so what are they going to do? I mean, they don't have enough money to, you know, to do much of anything uh, right now other than, you know, charter private jets and have 7,000 square foot suites uh two floor suites in uh, in las vegas for a couple of weeks <laughs> the tournament yeah. other than that you know or they've got a guy who runs a pac-12 network who lives in los angeles and commutes back and forth to the bay area on a private jet are you kidding me this is the you know the the network that can't produce any money for the schools but they can have a private jet uh you know taking the president from L.A. back to back and forth to uh, San Francisco. Unbelievable. It's yeah. amazing. I mean, there are people who say, you know, if you've got the Pac-12 networks and you've got Los Angeles, the telecommunications center in the world, you put the Pac-12 networks in Los Angeles. Yeah, maybe, you think? So now when they come to get, they need to hire a new president, where do they have to come? They have to come to L.A. to hire a new president for the network. But he doesn't want to move up there. So they send a private jet. It's amazing. It's just beyond belief this, yeah. the way the Pac-12 works. Mark, and they get away with it. Yeah, Mark, it's crazy. And you got to hold out hope that you know they're not going to renew Larry 
Scott's contract. Um, so I, but you know, anything can happen. He's trying to do this big equity deal. And I think, you know, if you force that through, then, you know, you want to see him have him see through that. Hopefully the presidents, the CEOs, they're the ones that have the power. A lot of the guys that originally supported him aren't there anymore. There's been a lot of turnover. A lot of the athletic directors were already not really on Larry Scott's side, but they didn't really have much of the power. So we'll see how that kind of evolves over the next couple of years. The problem is, and you saw in Wilner's story, if you didn't read it, make sure you check it out. He's got a great newsletter. Read his hotline newsletter. It's awesome. But uh, you know, to paraphrase, revenue you know, is going down for the Pac-12 network. So that means the distributions aren't going to be any better. Uh, AT&T U-verse pulling out is part of the reason why that expenses continue to go up and they're very high compared to their counterparts who make a lot more money. And the gap, the most important thing, the gap between the financial windfall that an SEC school gets or a Big Ten school gets and what the Pac-12 schools get is widening. So it's only going to get worse and it's there's no chance for this to get better uh, you know, outside of some sort of equity sale until they have to redo their contract in five years. So you got, if you're Mark, you're a fan of the Pac-12, just hold out hope that Larry Scott's done after this run and they bring in somebody competent that can come in, make some big changes and get off some of these horrible decisions that Larry Scott has made. Well, and, and, the, and the thing about the, the equity sale, how in the world are they going to find somebody to come up with $750 million for 10% of the Pac-12's, you know, media equity. I, I mean, how in the world could it possibly be worth that? <clears throat> okay, and then let's say they do that. I can't even imagine, you know, cast that check right away if somebody is going to give you $750 million. Uh, But the interesting thing is everybody puts in to the pot their media stuff. So... And, you know, it's basically, uh, you know, the, the, the Mayfire compact. You know, everybody puts in and everybody takes out the same amount. So, for example, Washington State will put in all of their vast media possibilities, and USC will put theirs in. And they'll both get the same money out. Hello? I'm sorry. What's wrong with that picture? That USC, everybody puts in. And everybody takes out the same. That can't be right. I mean, that makes no sense at all. I mean, one of the things that the Big 12 has done so well is they've allowed all of their schools to keep their own, for example, local radio and TV rights. And that's worked out really well. They're now, all of their schools are making more money than the, than the uh, Pac-12. They don't have a championship game yet, uh, or they're going to, but and on a network. And yet, you know, Texas gets $15 million a year on top of the network deal because they keep their own rights. Um, uh, Oklahoma gets another 8 to $10 million a year. Um, you know, the Pac-12 has really handicapped. They say, what's wrong with the L.A. schools? They're letting the Pac-12 down. I think, the, I think that's a, you know, uh, that goes both ways. I think the Pac-12 is also... Now, the, the L.A. schools have allowed that to happen, but the Pac-12 has certainly let down the L.A. schools as well. And uh, it just hasn't been, been good for anybody. But I'm not sure, you know, the, the whole media equity sale works all that well. Uh, I can't imagine somebody giving the Pac-12 $750 million and not saying, 
we want control, complete control, even though they're only going to get 10%. There's no way anybody's going to give you that, that kind of money for te- just a 10% interest. That makes, that would seem to make no sense to me. I, I don't know, Ryan, what, what you no, think. No, yeah, Does completely. Does that make any sense? No, I think it's going to have to be more than that. Um, you know, that <laughs> to see what the network's worth is just there's no way that the 10% equity sale. And, you know, you want it to be a strategic partner that can actually help with distribution, not just someone that's coming in and give you an, uh, you know, an infusion of, of funds. So uh, I just don't like the idea. I just think this is, is bad. And it's sort of like going back on the original thing where you, you wanted to fully yeah. own the networks. And now you're like, well, we're going to sell part of it. Like, well, why don't you just partner with ESPN, you know, yeah. seven years ago or Fox seven years ago, and then everyone would have been making more money. Like now you're, you're going to basically you, you're going to dig yourself a hole for 12 years and try to like, dig yourself out of it by selling 10 or 20% of the network. It's, it's just, you know, getting 40, $50 million per school at a one-time thing. And now you're going to be uh, selling part of your network for, for that. That doesn't even make up. It doesn't make up for anything from all the shortfall that, you know, that, that you had. So it, it makes no sense to me, Dan. Other than it's the classic, uh, you don't have to admit you were completely wrong seven years ago when you said, Oh, the best way for us to go is to hold on to complete ownership of all of our networks. And no, you were wrong. Okay. And you've cost the Pac-12 untold probably now close to a billion dollars in, in, in potential revenue over the last seven years. And you don't want to admit that, you know, yeah. you don't want to come in and say, Hey, we really screwed up. We should have done what the SEC did. We should have done what the Big Ten did. We should have done what the ACC is going to be doing next year, but we screwed up. But then that's what ha- Then you get fired, obviously, and you're trying to hold on and hoping that there's something down the road that you can say, you know, it's just that the Pac-12 has allowed itself to get conned this way. And a lot of it's the fault, the fact that the athletic directors and the chief executive officers in the school aren't working closely enough together that the CEOs are allowing Larry Scott to go directly to them and cut out the athletic directors. The athletic directors ought to raise holy hell when Larry Scott goes right to the CEOs who don't have any idea what's going on in college sports. You know, that's not their, you know, area of expertise. And they should say, no, Larry, you talk to my athletic director. Now, the problem is there are a lot of athletic directors that I don't think the presidents have any confidence in, and maybe with good reason. But uh, but it, it's just not the not the way you want to run a conference. And I thought somebody made it really good, and probably was Wilner, was that remember when Larry Scott came in, and the Pac-12 had just flown, you know, under Tom Hansen, they didn't do anything right with in regard to television and revenue and all of that, and they were the fifth out of the Power Five conferences. So then they come in, and they're the first ones to get the new deal. So they go up to number one and everybody's just impressed with whatever it was, three point something billion dollar deal over 12 years. But what's happened, they've been bypassed. The PAC 12 is now very close to being back to number five and as far behind the big boys as they were when Larry Scott came in and everybody thought he was the savior. So they're basically back to last place among the big conferences and 
falling faster maybe than they were then. But uh, but they haven't improved themselves. In Larry Scott's time at the Pac-12, they have not improved themselves at all. They're still, you know, they're still fifth and falling. Yeah. Ugh. We got one more, Keely? Is that, or is there a couple more? We have two more, and okay. one more from Mark from Fresno. He says, does the addition of Drew Richmond, the tackle out of the transfer portal from Tennessee, uh, signal weaknesses within the offensive line beyond depth? Offensive line play was weak last year, and the only player we pulled from the transfer portal was an, off- an offensive tackle. Is there concern they're still not good enough? Hmm. There's always concern. Uh uh, Drevno is pretty high on this group. Uh, I think depth is, has been the, uh, more of the issue than anything. I think he's high on the fact that what they're asking them to do in this offense, they can do. They've got the, I mean, they've got that, you know, when you look across it, take the centers out, but you look at the other four positions, you're looking at, you know, guys that are, you know, six, five, six, five and a half average and like 310 pounds. I mean, that's exactly what you're looking for now. You know, with the wide splits and all that, you're looking for athleticism. Uh, you're looking for, you know, guys that will execute exactly correctly every time. They think they've got that. I think the thing that makes that happen, though, is if you've got people pushing them or if you've got competition for, for positions, and I think that's what, uh, you know, Drew Richmond provides. I also like the fact that he looks like a real serious student. That, you know, he wants to get a master's in, you know, social entrepreneurship. Huh, I like that. He went to a good high school in, you know, Memphis. So, uh, so I think that's a plus. Uh, he certainly looks like a big time player. He's 6'6 and 320. He looks, you know, and when, he, when they get off the bus, he looks like he can play. Uh, and, you know, he played three years as a starter in the SEC. Uh, even if, it, if it's at Tennessee, uh, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, he looks like a player. Yeah. And so, you know, if you've got three guys to play two tackle positions, that's great. And if Clayton Braley, you know, comes back, you know, and you got four, uh, that's even better. Uh, that's what that's what you want to see. But but I like it. He wanted to be here, uh, and any depth that you can get, you know, it, on the offensive line is good. If 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 Jacob Daniels starts to, you know, his last year, all of a sudden, you know, they're just the light kind of goes on and you say, okay, he can, he can help a little bit. If Bernard Shermer, we're not sure where exactly he is. I think he could contribute. Uh, All of those little things help uh, in terms of of where this line needs to be uh, in terms of some real competitive. I mean, they talk about, they're not going to release the depth chart till Friday of each week. And I think, you know, the fact that those guys are, if they are really going to go out there and, and compete with one another. I think that's the essence of, of offensive line play is the willingness to compete on you know on every play, every down, every day in practice. Um, the more guys you have that you know are in that mix, uh, the better off you are. You don't want people just showing up knowing that they're going to play no matter what. And I think uh, you mentioned you know, the SEC or even thing. if they don't practice. Yeah, well, you mentioned the SEC thing, Dan. Just having an outside perspective. Someone coming in, and Coach Harvey Hyde talked about this in our podcast yesterday. Uh, we posted it on Monday. Yeah, I mean, he's done it. He's played against Alabama and you know Georgia and stuff like that. And so you can go in, and he's he knows things. I think just having him in that room, um, you know, if he plays up to his potential, I think it can be a huge boost for the entire offensive line. 
No, I like it. I like it. And I, I like it that he's kind of, you know, a leader type, you know, because of that, that the master's degree was, was important to him. I like that. And, and I like it that he really looks like a, a big time player. Um, you know, and just everything about him. And, uh, so I think that, you know, if you were going to get one position where you got one guy out of the transfer portal, I would have said offensive line would yeah. be the place. And that's what they did. And it always helps to have an older guy because that's a younger group, um, that offensive yeah. line. And so it may be not exactly a Stevie Tuikulavatu type of deal, but always having a new, fresh perspective and an older perspective, I think, always helps a group like like the O-line. Yeah, you can only hope you get a CVT. CVT. Uh, that was such a good – I mean, that was as good a transfer, uh, you know, or grad transfer uh, – as you could possibly hope for. He did so many good things for that team, and I, I, I think he was, he was sorely missed. So if you get any of that kind of thing, you know, on the offensive line with Drew Richmond, uh, you've done really good. Yeah, completely agree. We have one final question, and it's from Dan, class of 1962. He says, I always heard that Mr. Lopes, the associate AD, was very competent throughout the years under various ADs. What has happened to him and his role in the AD office, and what is your take on his abilities? Hmm. The, things have, have, have been tough. I, I think, you know, the, the, I think when you look at what happened with the admissions uh, scandal and the way that um, Donna Heinel apparently was allowed to do her job and that without transparency, uh, with no oversight, uh, no really... Uh, understanding of what it was she was doing that can't look good for either of the people that were above her in the athletic department uh there just didn't seem to be a level of accountability and uh and i can't reflect well on anybody that was in the chain of command um you know obviously from from pat hayden or lynn swan and then uh with second in command you know with with steve lopes who's been a you know, real responsible guy and, you know, in terms of, you know, the financial stuff and, uh, you know, scheduling and, 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 you know, a lot of the issues in the Coliseum. Uh, but, uh, but I think it's a tough place to be if you were in the kind of the line of, you know, responsibility and, and administration over what obviously, you know, should never have allowed to even get close to happening. And, we saw the the three fixes that that came down from uh, interim president Wanda Austin in terms of of admissions, and, and it's just like so basic things like, you know, if somebody gets a an admission based on their uh, athletic uh, interests, that there will be an audit done to see what happened to those people who were were given uh, extra, you know, admissions help who got into school with one of the, you know, was an athletic interest that, that they were going to be a walk-on in a, in a certain sport and that you would go back after the first year and see what happened to those people. And if you found out that, you know, none of them showed up for the teams, you know, there would be some accountability. Apparently there was none of that. I mean, it, it, you, you wouldn't even know who was, who was getting into school uh, based on their athletic interests and you would not be able to even check on, 
on uh, on what happened to those people. That's just that's so irresponsible. When when you're when you've got a school where you're down to 11% admission rate, you have to know how valuable those admission slots are. And if they're getting in as a result of athletic admissions, you gotta ask that question: How did they do? How did that match up? You know what the kids that we admitted because of their interest supposedly in athletics, how did they do? The other thing would be those checks that were coming in, uh, you know, for the athletic department through Donna Heinel, whose names were on them and how many, you know, and why were we getting those? Why was USC getting those? And were there any connections between the people who were giving those checks and the people who were getting admit- admitted for uh, athletic interests, uh, you know, as walk-ons. It didn't seem like any of that was happening. And that, that's pretty irresponsible, it would seem. And if you were in the line of, uh, you know, administration where that was happening, uh, that's probably not a good look. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I like Steve personally, um, and he's been in a weird spot because – uh, you know, it's, it's almost like he's running the athletic department, but he's not the athletic director. He did have to do it with, with Pat Hayden and Lynn Swan. And if he was actually given the job, which he was up for it when they hired Lynn Swan, uh, what would be different now? But like Dan said, you know, Donna Heinel was number three in the athletic department. So if you're one of the two people that are above her, um, that probably, you know, that's tough because there was what, what oversight was there and she was able to basically do whatever she wanted. And, you know, in the last year and a half, three of people that work for you were arrested by the FBI. Like that, can't, that can't be good either. You know? So I'm not saying it's, you know, Steve Lopes fault, but that where he is and, you know, he's put in this weird position where they keep hiring figureheads and it's like, Steve is still there and he's got to like run the thing, you know, behind the scenes. But it's, so I know it's a weird spot to be put in, but just the things that have happened in the athletic department over the last couple of years, you know, that haven't been positive. It hasn't been good. You know, there, there's been some really good things on the field. Like, you know, last, just a couple of days ago, four different spring programs, one, you know, conference championships. There's been some good stuff, but the big stuff has been not as good. And all the weird things that have been happening, uh, it's just, it's just, I think it puts Steve in a pretty tough spot. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and I think the success of a lot of the Olympic sports and that just shows you that, these are sports where other progr- other schools don't go out and really, really work hard at it. So basically, it's USC has an advantage over those schools historically, and for so many other reasons. USC, you know, has done a better job and is going to keep doing a better job. It's in sports where the other schools really, really try and really compete and really do whatever they think they need to do, like football and men's basketball. And maybe women's basketball too, which is kind of really fallen by the wayside at USC. Uh, those are the sports where you really got to get it right. And, you know, you don't have the same complete natural advantages that you do in, in a lot of the other sports where USC has built up a tradition over the years and where the scholarship issues don't, don't negatively, uh, you know, impact them. But, uh, but the sports where other other people have said we really want to be good in these sports. USC hasn't hasn't gotten their act together uh, recently, and they need they really need to do that. And that's what they're going to measure you on if you're running a 
a big time college athletic program. They're going to look at, uh, at football and, and, and men's basketball for certain. And maybe, you know, a little bit to women's basketball and, uh, and those, um, uh, he hasn't gotten it right recently. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's going to be an issue too. Yeah. Is that all we got, Keely? That's all we got. You know, we do have tunnel vision coming up Wednesday. It's true. Tomorrow. We're taping this on Tuesday. So if you're listening on Tuesday or Wednesday, Wednesday evening, 6 p.m., India Anderson. If you've heard of that name, she is the new USC drum major, leader of the Trojan Marching Band, and the first female to ever hold that position. So she's going to be in studio with us. We'll be chatting with her for the first part and then answering any kind of questions you have about USC football. But it should be fun. Uh, it should be a fun show. We're I, we're working with uh, Dr. Bartner, Art Bartner's people. Uh, it's his 50th year or going to be his 50th year in the last year. I think he said last after the 40th year, but he kept going for another 10. Um, we're going to have him on the podcast, too, somewhere in the next couple of weeks. So that should be fun. Fun stuff, yeah. Yeah, you know, talk to uh, Dr. Bartner about you know, running the band for 50 freaking years. So that's older than both you and me, Keely. That's older than me. That's, that's saying something because I'm mm-hmm. kind of old. Yeah. You're old as dirt, Ryan. Uh, but that should he, be. And by the way, he's on my bucket list to interview uh, the next week or two just to sit down with him and, and really try to have him tell his story uh, to us. And, and it'd be great to have him on, too. I just think he's uh, he's as good a story as. USC's got a lot of good stories, but uh, I don't think they got any better story than, you know, Dr. Art Bartner. They're just, uh, yeah. that it would I'd love to know where did he come from? Where did he figure out USC does things nobody else does? How did that happen? You know, how did all those, those things come about? There's just something about, the, you know, the USC band that is, you know, unique. And uh, it's all, you know, Dr. Bartner. But, uh, yeah. Oh, I, I do have a question. Will India come in costume or I, not? We're going to see I don't how, know. The, I don't know about how the, the uniform fits. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe, maybe the sword. If she could bring the sword, that would be kind of cool. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll yeah. text her and see if she wants to bring the sword. That's fun. That would be um, very good. Because it's a visual medium. Notre Dame, you know? Didn't Notre Dame uh, came up? They had a, a female leprechaun, I think. They made that move. So uh, uh, I think it's great for USC to to also make that move yeah I'll, I'll text her right now see if she can bring the sword so that should be fun uh all right well that's uh keely your i'm dan weber thanks to uh heath gregory for coming on to make sure you uh check out tourtopeer.com and if you want to do a donation you can do it to my bike that would be great i'd really appreciate it so I'll, <laughs> I'll give you a shout out anyone that donates from the parasol podcast will give you a shout out okay so <laughs> donate in there say hey blah 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 and I'll say uh, I'll say your name on the show, uh, whatever you donate. So thanks for that. Thanks to Keely. Thanks Dan. Thanks Heath. And thanks you all for listening to the Parastyle Podcast. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. 
Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 